Now that's the kind of music that'll minister to your spirit. Amen. It'll minister to your spirit. Joshua chapter 9. <clears throat> and when you find your spot, I'll have you standing. Joshua chapter 9. Some of the passage here. There's only, only 27 verses. I'll read fast. We might read the whole thing. We might not. We'll see how it goes. I brought my fishermen friends with me, so hopefully they'll keep me from coughing too much here. Appreciate the prayers. Well, let's begin reading here. Joshua chapter 9, the Bible says in verse 1, And it came to pass, when all the kings which were on this side Jordan, in the hills and in the valleys, and on all the coasts of the great sea over against Lebanon, Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite, the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard thereof that they gathered themselves together to fight with Joshua and with Israel with one accord. Now uh, in the world of sports here, just a departure from the text for a second, it's been saying uh, Michigan against everybody. That's what they've been saying. But the truth of it is in verse 1 and 2, it's Israel against everybody. If you notice there, when they go over to begin to do what God told them to do in the land, they were all against them. And guess what? What you're seeing here, this is recorded history, the Bible, you're going to see this again. Well, hopefully you don't see it, but you can see it kind of going that way. And as soon as we're raptured out of here, well, the thing that's going to happen in the next three year, three and a half years after we're gone is everyone has to turn against Israel. And you're going to see this thing played out. Hopefully you don't see it and you're up at the rapture. Amen. Look at verse 3. Bible says, And when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done unto Jericho and Ai, they did work wilily, and went and made as if they had been ambassadors, and took old sacks upon their asses. That's, that's the farm animal. The Bible is not being disrespectful there, and you've got to point that out in 2023. And wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clouded, that just means they're patched up, upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. And they went to Joshua unto the camp at Gilgal and said unto him and to the men of Israel, We be come from a far country. Now therefore make ye a league with us. And the men of Israel said unto the Hivites, Isn't that an interesting Bible you have in your lap there? The Holy Spirit knows who it is. Joshua don't know who it is though. And the Holy Spirit being the author of the scripture tells you it's the Hivites, also known as the HIVites. Peradventure you dwell among us, and how shall you make a league with you? And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. Joshua said to them, Who are ye? And from whence come ye? And they said unto him, From a very far country thy servants are come, because of the name of the Lord thy God. For we have heard the fame of him, and all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, that were beyond Jordan, to Sihon, king of Heshbon, and to Og, king of Bashan, which was at Ashtaroth, Wherefore, are, notice they left off Jericho. You know why they did that, right? Because Jericho just happened, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it will give them away. Wherefore, our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spake to us, saying, Take victuals with you for the journey, and go to meet them, and say to them, We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. This our bread we took hot for our provisions out of our houses on the day we came forth to go unto you. But now, behold, it is dry, and it is moldy. And these bottles of wine which were filled were new, and behold, they be rent. That means they're about ready to bust. And these are garments, and our shoes are, are become old by reason of the very long journey. A very, very sad verse here in the chapter. And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel at the mouth of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. And the princes of the congregation swear unto them. I think we'll stop right there in the passage here. What a very precarious chapter we've come across here. We go from victory to defeat to victory, and then it seems like a little bit of a letdown in the passage, doesn't it? God's given us specific instructions, and Joshua's very human. He's a great battle leader, and uh, you'll see the battles play out in the rest of the chapter. He's the great General Joshua, and he stays true to the Lord all the way until the day he dies. In Joshua chapter 24, he says, Choose you this day who you will serve. He loves the Lord Jehovah God, but you know what he is? He's absolutely human. Amen, and so are you and I. 
I think there's a lot of learning from this text in this chapter today. And uh, Brother Cole, would you ask the Lord's blessing in the preaching this morning? Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. I've said this before. I think it just bears repeating. I'm thankful for the youngins in our church. Amen. I really am. Uh, that what they do and what they say in the squall, and that don't bother me a bit. I come up preaching on the streets. You say, uh, "What did you have a church on the street?" No, I had a lot of hecklers at times. But amen. I come up preaching on the street, and that don't bother me a bit. Matter of fact, I'm encouraged to hear the voices of youngins in the church. Amen. amen. And uh, you say, "Why is that?" You know, uh, you know, in our day and age. Uh, uh, we have this and that. Hey, let me tell you what. Uh, we need to hear the sound of the young'un's cry. Amen. That's encouragement. You say, why? Because unless the Lord comes back, we're going to need that next generation to step up. Amen. So that don't bother me a bit. I'm glad, for, I'm glad they're here and I'm glad they squawk. And the truth of the matter is, as I've said before, the young'uns are just a little bit more honest than you and I are. Amen. We're a little bit more dignified. We have a little bit more, uh, you know, we hold ourselves together better, we say but uh, on many times when the preaching is going on, you might be on the inside squalling and bawling too, but amen. But here, uh, we uh, just got done last week preaching through chapter 8, and we uncovered the road to victory. And what a victory it was, amen. The Lord promised Joshua the victory as long as he stayed on the right road. And we preached about being on that road last week, and I trust you had a victorious week. And let me say, if you didn't, you can get back on the road at any time. Amen. The point of the whole thing is to stay on the right road. You know what Paul says at the end of uh, the book of Ephesians? He says, and having done all to stand. You see, a lot of people think it's about how fast you can go in the Christian life. It's not about how fast you can go. It's just are you on the right road? And when it's come time for you and I to get out of here, you're still going to be on the right road. Now, look, we understand that we cannot lose our salvation. The Bible says once you are saved, he'll never leave you nor forsake you, amen. But as far as being on the right road, that's doing what God wants you to do in the manner in which he wants it done. So there might be days that you can't run the race that is set before you, amen. Thank you for somebody saying amen. I thought I was all by myself there for a second. There are some days you can't run in the Christian race. And there are some days you can't even walk in the Christian race. But you know what Paul says, having done all to stand. And the old preacher said this, if you can't stand, lay down, but stay on the right road. <laughs> Amen. We just got done preaching that. We're not going to preach it all over again. And Joshua did stay on the right road. And as I see, as we open up here in chapter 9, I would imagine in my mind's eye that the victory parade has just finished up. Amen. I mean the festivities, you know, the feasting and the merriment. And you probably, Joshua had to probably organize some cleanup committees. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like uh, whenever they have their parade for Michigan or whatever, the, the fire they're going to do there, you know what I mean? But, I mean, uh, the merriment has not even hardly ended in the cleanup. And how about this, all the spoiling. You like the thought of getting a bunch of stuff because you did what God told you to do? Those rewards. I mean, the price of beef just went way down because now you've got a bunch of cattle. The price of mutton just was like dropped out of sight because now you've got sheep in abundance. you got gold. and so That's a blessing. I look forward to the day when I can stand before the judgment seat of Christ. I might not be 100% excited to get to that place, but you know what? The Bible says, then shall every man have praise of God. I believe the Lord wants us to do well at the judgment seat of Christ. And I believe that even though many of us may, like Lot, be standing in the ashes and see a lot of things burn up that we did in the flesh. I believe the Lord is going to be able to reward each and every one of us for something that we did for him. And I'm looking forward to that day. Back to our text, the merriment has not quite ended yet. It's a quite high is going on and it's just a buzz, you know, a good, 
a good one, by the way, a good buzz in the camp, you know, in the children of Israel, two million people or plus, and all of a sudden here comes some regal-looking visitors. I don't know if, the, you know if they come up on their donkeys or their horses, whatever it was, but they're all dirty and they're all dusty. They got a regal look to them. And uh, they see their shoes, and the shoes got holes in the shoes, you know, toes poking out there and all that stuff, and they're all dusty and dirty, and they're, you know, they're just scraggly, and they probably stink. You know what it is? Well, it's these Gibeonites from about three days' journey over. And they come over, and even though God said not to, what they do is they work their wiles on General Joshua and all the princes of Israel, and they trick him into signing a peace treaty with them. When God said, don't do it. That's a tough thing. I always wondered about this passage. It's like, it's really a good picture of the Christian life. You have these great ups. You got Jericho. Then you get your tail kicked at AI. And then the Lord's got to help you deal with sin and get you right back on the right road. You have a great victory at AI. And, oh, you get a little bit overconfident. And you do something God tells you not to do. Amen. All through that thing. And there's consequences that come to that. And what I see here in this passage is I see the tactics of the enemy. Let me personalize. I see the tactics of my enemy right in this passage. The Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it said, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil walketh about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And I have an enemy out there. I have an adversary. He's the accuser of the brethren, the Bible says in Revelation chapter 12. He is Satan. He is the devil. He is the dragon. He is the tempter. And he's looking to get me off track. And he's looking to take me out. Thank God, April 24th, 1983, I got saved as a seven and a half year old boy. And I can't go to hell. I'm not going to hell. But you know what he can do? He can slap, ruin my testimony, and he can ruin yours. So I see here, these are God's chosen people. They're on the right road. And instead of just backing off, uh, you know, say, I'm trying to solve the problem before we get into the problem here. And start backing off and saying, yeah, I don't trust this fellow here. And going and getting along with the Lord, he relies on his own judgment. Can I remind you, the Bible says, and I believe it's the book of Jeremiah chapter 10, that man doesn't even, I'm paraphrasing now, man can't even, he can't even run his own life. Uh, some of you here today uh, that are over 40, uh, you know that's a fact. Amen? Amen. <laughs> Twice that. <clears throat> you don't even have enough sense to run your own life. Say, how terrible. I mean, that's the Bible. That's why the Bible says, trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. Then he says, be not wise in thine own eyes in verse 7. And boy, sure don't we do that as Christians a lot. Well, you know, I've been around, and I've got experience, and this is my specialty, and this is what I'm really good at. And next thing you know, the Lord's like, okay, but you're going to get sidewinded. You're going you're to get run over. Let me show you this, some things here from the passage today. I think this can help us. I'd like to look at the tactics of the enemy. First of all, let me give you this here in verse number 4. I want you to see what the, concerning the tactics of my enemy, they're coming to flatter you. When they show up, they're coming to flatter you. Bible says in verse 4, they did work wildly and went and made as if they had been ambassadors. Let me tell you this about flattery. Someone has said this, flattery is like perfume. That is, you should smell it, but never swallow it. Amen? You should never swallow it. Another suggested that flattery is like counterfeit money, which but for vanity would have no circulation whatsoever. Most of us, the unfortunate truth is, most of us would rather be hurt by flattery. Listen now, we'd rather be hurt by flattery than helped by our critics. And you know, sometimes what you and I need is not to be told how good we are and how handsome and how beautiful and how wonderful. We just need to tell us, we need to be told where we're missing the mark. You say, well, who do you think you are? I'm a voice in the wilderness. <laughs> That's all I am. And if I hit you today uh, from the pulpit, it's not because I know a cotton-picking thing in my life. When it comes to a preacher, I claim to be one of the most ignorant fellows I've ever known. But this book knows you better than your mama knows you. And I'm just saying this this morning is when the enemy approaches you, 
the first way they're often going to do it, as I see in the passage, they're going to try to flatter you. They want you to see that they're, they want you to see that they are important. I want you to see this, the enemy has an itinerary. An itinerary, is that how you say it? That's what most of us need to plan throughout the day, but don't. <clears throat> but the enemy has a, an agenda, right? An itinerary. And this uh, uh, agenda is to further their existence. Look at verse 2. You see that whole thing with the, when they find out where Israel's at? Verse 2 says, they gather themselves together. You say, why? Because they're going to take Israel out. Their agenda is to further their existence, and their agenda is to enslave you. That's what they wanted to do, and then ultimately exterminate you. By the way, fast forward to 2023, every country around Israel would like to see them exterminated. Uh, the, uh, the, the most uh, favorable country towards Israel right now is Jordan. They have just under 70% Muslim population, which would love to see every Jew killed. But the fact of the matter is, is they're under some peace treaty, and you know how over there how that works. Peace treaty means uh, it, it's peace until I decide to shoot you. And then we come up with another peace treaty after about another hundred or so are dead, or we blow up a bus, or we blow up a building. And that's how that thing works. But uh, the enemy has an itinerary, and their agenda is to enslave and exterminate you. And then finally, if you look at verse 9, their agenda is designed to embellish you with familiar talk. You say, what do you mean? Well, in verse 9, here they come hopping along and all the king's horses and all the king's men, and they're like, oh, yeah, we know your God. And we are here because of the Lord thy God. You see what I mean? They're looking to flatter you. They're looking to bring about their wares and their agenda, their itinerary, and show you how important they are because deep down inside, they want to enslave you. They want to exterminate you, and they want to have their way. That's how the enemy works. They show up by flattery. That's why when the enemy approaches you during the week with certain things, whatever it is that the Holy Spirit work on you with this one, it's never an out and outright sin. You know, when David was tempted, first of all, it was not temptation with a naked woman on a roof. The temptation came at the time, the Bible says, when kings go forth to battle. Well, he were a king, weren't he? Well, why in the world is he sitting home doing nothing? You know when he got into trouble? When he decided to not do the very thing that he was supposed to be doing, and that's what God raised him up for. God raised him up to, to take that sling and kill that giant, and God raised him up to bend that bow of steel in his hand, and God raised him up to go out and fight the Lord's wars and the Lord's battles, and he said, you know what? We're doing pretty good. I think I'll stay home. Well, sure enough, lo and behold, you know what happens next. It costs him four boys. Four boys. Well, the enemy has an itinerary. The enemy wants you to see how important they are. Verse 4 says, and they made as if they had been ambassadors. Now, you know what they're doing here, right? We would say it, they're making it like it ain't. Right? You ever make it like it ain't? Hey, brother, so good to see you today. I'm so glad to be in church. <laughs> right? We do this as Americans because we are the Laodicean church age. We're the Pollyanna people. We don't think we need anything. Revelation chapter 3 verse 17, in need of nothing. Hey, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing great. You liar. You're a mess. Well, it's none of their business, but it might not be, amen? And you might not want to spill your guts to them, amen? But how you doing? I'm doing great. Praise the Lord. Wow, wonderful. Full of glory. You're a liar. You're a mess. But they really want you to know how important they are. How important. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You realize that a lot of Christians in 2023 can't stand. It's not because they don't have a Bible. It's just because they refuse to take that book that God gave them and put that armor on every single day. Now, this should be familiar territory. You have the greatest book in the world, the King James Bible. The greatest source of truth, the only source of truth, this doesn't need updating, it doesn't need revising, it just needs reread. Amen? That's it. You don't have to wait. Uh, I've got uh, so many stinking devices now at home that, oh, needs an update here and an update there and here an update there and up there, everywhere an update. You know what I mean? But this book don't need updating. You need an update. Amen? The only way you're going to get updated as a Christian is to get your nose in this book and start reading them pages 
Amen. That's what we got to do. Ain't nowhere around it. And Christians today, they can't stand because they don't put the armor of God on. So here Israel, they're in celebration mode. You ever been there? You ever been in celebration mode? God on the mountain is still God in the valley. Right, you're on the mountain flying high with Jesus. And all of a sudden here come the old Gibeonites. Them old HIVites come along and trick you out. But they're in celebration mode. Their defenses are down. They're not sober. Right? Be sober. Be vigilant. I'm trying to give you a warning today as a preacher. So if this comes across rather negative, remember the passage is negative. Right? You need that negativity. Why? Because when nobody warns you, you're no longer cautious. When it's sunny and 70, you're carefree and you're just, yeah, the windows are down, baby, and you're out there and pedal to the metal. But let me tell you what, when the ice hits, most of you slow down. <laughs> Why? You don't want to wind up in a ditch. And the worst wrecks I've ever seen are not in the winter either. They're in the summer. Everyone gets careless. I want to try to help you be on guard this morning. I want to help you to be sober. But Israel's no longer sober. They're... They're rejoicing, and man, they won again, and wow, we wiped them out. I'd like to take some of the things that are plaguing me and wipe them out, amen? Say, but preacher, would you really? I'm the one preaching, stop it. <laughs> but they're flamboyant right now. They're not sober. They're lighthearted. They're not sober. They're emotional. Oh, did you see what happened there when we went around the mulberry bush? And they come out, and we, we were some on this side and some on that side. Yeah, we just chopped them all to pieces. That's what they did. And they come back, and it's the parade and all that stuff. But notice this, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, And no marvel. For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing, if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. Well, they, well, look, they're in old clothes. They must be nice people. You ever been there? You ever see someone and all of a sudden you just, your heart yearns for that individual and they cry you this river and, this, and the older you get, you're like, yeah, I'm going to check you out first. What I'm going to do? You should. You should be on guard. Well, let me share this. Uh, not only... Not only uh, when it comes to our enemies are they coming to flatter you, but it leads us right into number two. They're coming for your feelings. They're coming for your feelings. Look here in verse 4 and 5. The Bible says, And took old sacks upon their asses and wine bottles, old and rent and bound up, and old shoes and clotted upon their feet, and old garments upon them, and all the bread of their provision was dry and moldy. You see, they're coming for your feelings by, by this, by making everything look painful. They're making everything look painful. They got old sacks. They got old wine bottles. They got old shoes. They got old garments, and they got dry and moldy bread. Oh, man, they must have it rough. Oh, what in the world happened to these? You know, we're, we're God-fearing, God-loving people, and we got to help them, you know? Oh, just come talk to us. We, we understand what it's like to be slaves in Egypt. We understand what it's like to have to work for our bread, and, and what they're doing is they're coming for your feelings. And that group of Hivites there, they made everything look painful. They tricked them. They deceived them. Not only by making everything look painful, by making everything look pitiful. By making themselves look pitiful. Look at verse 6. Notice they say, uh, when he says, where are, you at? where are you from? He says, we are come from a far country. Ain't that something? We are come from a far country. And in verse 9, notice they embellish a little bit more. It's not just a far country, but it's a very far country. I suppose if you're an ant, amen, three days is a long ways for an ant, but an individual can cover seven miles, easy seven miles, just taking your time in a day, in 12 hours. But they're making everything look pitiful. I'll take your Bible. I want to, uh, as the old preachers, I want to learn you something this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now there's something you should understand here. Joshua was given specific instructions. The princes knew specific instructions about dealing with the inhabitants of the land. The inhabitants of the land. This was not a surprise. 
This is a willingness to let go of what God said and do whatever the world you please. Deuteronomy chapter 7, look at verse 16. The Bible says, And thou shalt consume, how many? All the people. Thou shalt consume all the people which the Lord thy God shall deliver thee. Thine eyes shall have no pity upon them, neither shalt thou serve their gods, for that will be a snare unto thee. You see that? What happened? They got blinded by victory. They were up, and then they're down, and then they're up, and then they're down. You see what I mean? Just like the Christian life, and every victory you have, you better watch it. You better watch it. Let me tell you what, the more victories you have, you better get more on guard. Uh, Americans are terrible at this thing. We're number one. We're number one. Yeah, you're number one, all right. The more victories God gives you, you best be on guard because the Gibeonites are coming. And they're not going to be coming. They're not going to be coming saying, hey, by the way, we're the ones God told you to destroy. They don't run like that. They come in looking like somebody else. They come and they play on your, they flatter you. They come and they play on your feelings. They want you to think they're important. You see how it's going? And the Lord said, you destroy them all. So they come for your feelings. Notice this, I'll give you number three here. The tactics of my enemy, they're fixated on making a deal with you. Notice this in verse 6, they're fixated on making a deal. Let's make a deal. They show up the way they show up, and they ride in with all their wares. In verse 6, the Bible says, Now therefore make ye a league with us. Now I don't know about you, but just reading the one passage of Scripture we read and knowing somewhat about the Bible as you do, this should have been a red flag for Joshua. Could it be that the greatest leader next to Moses in all of Israel was taken up with victory? would just let all his care and caution go to the wind, this should have been an absolute red flag for Joshua. And listen, Christian, in your life, when the enemy approaches you and wants to make a deal with you, you need to be like, light bulb. i got to think about this. But you know what the pressure in this country is that we've got to give an answer. You say, oh, no, I ain't worried about that. Yeah, that's why you don't answer your phone, right? You do answer it. That's why as soon as someone goes... Beep, beep, beep. You're like, oh, can't see what it is. Why? Pressure? You got to give him an answer. I'll call you back later. Beep, beep. I told you I'll call you back later. You see, that's how it goes. But they're fixed on making a deal with you. And this should have been a red flag for Joshua. I want to run you through a couple more passages of scriptures just so you don't think I'm full of baloney. Amen? Exodus chapter 34. This thing is clear as mud. Exodus chapter 34. I want you to notice the instruction given to Moses that was passed on to Joshua. Exodus 34 verse 12. The Bible says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You see it? You say, Preacher, this is so dull. You're preaching history. Listen, let me tell you what. If that's really how you feel, and I'm not saying it is, but if that's really how you feel, you know what? I guarantee you that someone will try to make a deal with you this week that will displease the Lord. Whether it's through what you look at, whether what is through you hear, or whether it's through some ungodly subscription, or whether it's through ungodly purchase. You see what I'm saying? And it'll flatter you, and they'll make you think it's important. You'll be like, oh, I got to have that. Ain't nothing wrong with that. But notice this thing here, he says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a... There it is. There it is. You know why the Lord was concerned about it? He was concerned that making any type of agreement with the enemy that he told to destroy would snare them from serving him the way they could and should. And listen, when you are approached by the enemy, and it will be this week, and let me tell you what, after preaching a message like this, it's going to be an enjoyable afternoon, amen? That's kind of funny. But I picked up the mantle, I get it, right? I chose it. But if you're going to make a deal with the enemy, that's how it's going to happen. And it's going to sneak up on you just like that when you least expect it. When you least expect it. I'll take your Bible, go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, just a couple more verses, we'll move on with the text. Deuteronomy chapter 23 
I'm trying to give you a warning this morning. You say, why are you warning us? Because nobody's listening in the church age in the last days. We're rich. We don't have need of anything. And all I can do is run my big mouth and say, hey, you better be careful this week. You better be careful this month. You better be careful this year because the enemy is real. He's after you and you have to be on guard. Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 6. Thou shalt not seek their peace, nor their prosperity all the days forever. Talking about the inhabitants of the land. Go back to Exodus chapter 23. I'll give you another one. Exodus chapter 23. Exodus chapter 23 and verse 31. Now listen, Joshua knew better. Joshua knew better. The princes knew better. But let me tell you, they were taken up with victory. And if you're not careful, you'll get along in your Christian life and you'll start getting some victories and you'll all of a sudden think that you're responsible for where you're at in your Christian life. Let me remind you, you're not. If it weren't for the grace of God, we'd all be in hell, amen? If you are having a victorious time in your Christian life, it's because God has given you the grace to go this far. You have to be on guard. You have to be sober. Exodus chapter 23, look at verse 31. And I will set thy bounds, talking about Israel's bounds, from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I'll deliver, look at it now, I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt, you see it? Drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. Ain't that crazy? You see that? That's three passages, four or five verses. You've got a New Testament verse over there in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, a very uh, applicable verse. The Bible says, Wherefore, come out from among them and live just like them. That's not what it says, is it? Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. He's talking about personal separation. You know, when the Lord took Israel into the promised land, you know what he demanded? He demanded personal separation. Now, look, he didn't call us to destroy any nations. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that, amen? Because some of y'all are a bad shot. <laughs> That's funny right there. Amen, he didn't call us to destroy anybody, right? But he did call us to come out, come out from among them. You know what the world says? The world says, come in, come in, the water's fine. The world says, come in. The ecumenical churches say, come on in. Come on into the coffee bar. Come on into the show. Come on into the nightclub. And the world, the Lord says, come out, come out, and stay out. Well, let me show you this part here. Not only they're fixated on making a deal with you, but they feign submission to get their way. They feign submission to get their way. Look at verse 8. The Bible says, And they said unto Joshua, We are thy servants. Isn't that interesting? I ain't even, they ain't even met uh, the whole nation of Israel. And they walk in there, and they're talking like they're talking. And they're saying, Hey, we're your servants. That should be the next red flag. Ain't nobody I ever met said, Here, I'm here to serve you. Man, they don't even say that at McDonald's. And half the time when they do say, I'm, you know, I'm here to do it right, they do it wrong. <laughs> right? Isn't that interesting? They feign submission. I mean, I really try to have a good attitude about, about McDonald's people. I, I can't imagine going back to work. I, I mean, I put a lot of years in McDonald's, amen. But uh, it's, it's a thankless job. It really is. But you know what? They feign submission to get their attention. And they show up saying, oh, we're, here. we're your servants, we're your servants. And they say that in verse 8. Now look at this. Look at this in verse 9. From a very far country thy servants are come. They say it again. You think they're trying to tell them something? I'm just telling you this morning when the enemy approaches you, one of the things that they're going to do, when the enemy approaches, it's going to feign submission. Oh, look what they can do for us. Look what this can do for our family. You see that? They feign submission. Let me tell you what, I am servant only to the Lord Jesus Christ, and I serve one another right here. That's who I serve. 
Now, I might have to serve something if I do a job and cut down a tree, amen. I might have to be part of a tree service. And if you work in the shop, you're part of that serving capacity. But in the passage and what we're talking about is when the enemy approaches you, he's going to feign submission like he wants to serve you, like he wants to help you. Let me tell you what, the enemy is not your friend. He is not your friend. Well, you know, the devil, he's just, he's just really nothing. You better shut your mouth. The Bible says you better be sober, you better be vigilant for your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You know all the devil wants you to do this week is just let his imps and minions serve you, serve your flesh. That's what the devil wants. Well, just let us serve you. You're number one in our book. You see, down to that old little white country church on the corner, he's always spitting and sputtering and always telling you what you shouldn't do and always telling you that the Lord will be happy if you do this for him. But here, I want to serve you. Trying to help you this morning. I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to fire that shot over the bow this morning. Look, I know the world we live in. I, I don't live in some, you know, some, some country that nobody knows about. I get up and go to work every single day. I work between 40 to 60 hours a week like some of you do. I know what it's like to can't hardly wake up. I know what it's like to be behind the wheel and you want to fall asleep, but you can't because then you'd be late. I know what it's like to hit deer. I know what it's like to be without money to pay bills. I know what it's like to go without, even though some of you think it's hard to tell preacher these days, especially after Thanksgiving, amen. But all the devil wants to do, all the enemy wants to do is just trick you into believing that he wants to serve you. Because at the end of the day, you'll be serving him. Amen. Out of the mouths of babes right there, amen. <laughs> Let me show you this one in verse 8 and 9. I want you to notice the enemy... One of the tactics of the enemy is that they fail to outright identify themselves. They fail to outright identify themselves in verse 8 and 9. The Bible says, uh, Joshua says, who are ye? He's really trying to figure out, who are you guys? Like, where did you come from anyways? He says, who are you and from whence come ye? And they said to him, from a very far country thy servants are come. Look at verse 11. We are your servants, therefore now make ye a league with us. They just totally skip. You ever ask somebody a question and they're, they're totally dissing you on the question? They're not answering. Like, did you, did you follow your diet this, th th today? Oh, I had a great day, man, a great day at work and all that. No, I, did, you follow, did, you, did, did you cheat on your diet? I'm telling you what, the roads were so beautiful. Yeah, we got your number. You were eating Big Macs and Quarter Pounders. Let me say this. A man who will not identify himself is a man looking for a favor. He is a man looking for a handout. And see, a man probably looking for a hug. You say, how so? Proverbs 17, 9. Proverbs 17, 9. The Bible says, He that covereth the transgression seeketh love, but he that repeateth the matter separateth very friends. Ain't that something? I want to ask you a question here today. Are you unwilling to identify yourself, Christian? If you stop and think about it, a man who refuses to identify himself with the local church is a rebel. You say, why? Every Christian in the Bible is part of a local church. Every man in the Bible, or I'm sorry, every man, every man who refuses to identify himself with the King James Bible is a critic. There's only one reason you wouldn't identify yourself with the King James Bible, and that's because, A, you're ignorant. Ignorance is not a, a negative thing, just you don't know. Or B, you're a critic. You see that? I mean, today you've got the whole gender dysphoria. What are you? Well, I'm of this today. I'm of that tomorrow. What are you? You don't know what you are. Amen. In the beginning, God created Adam and Eve. Male and female created he them. Well, that's not what the news media says. We don't care what the news media says. We believe the Bible. You say, you're not going to win friends. I'm not looking to win friends like that. I'm looking to preach what God says. What do you think? You're better than them? How did that even go there? So you're the one talking. I know I better shut up and preach. Amen. 
A man who will not identify himself as a man looking for a favor. And here a man who identifies identify himself with Jesus Christ is either ashamed of him or, or he's lost. Well, I'm just telling you the tactics of the enemy is they fail to outright identify themselves. But notice this in verse 14. The enemy always desires to feed you. In verse 14. This is a very interesting thing we've come across. The enemy always desires to feed you. I mean, isn't there nothing really better than sitting down with those that you love and eating a good meal? I mean, that's like, that seals the deal with everything. You know, if, it, if the meal is right and the mood is right and the attitude is right, every man in here would give everything he had away. Because when he's around a good meal, he just, he just loses his mind. And I'm a man, I know that. But I want you to notice that the enemy always desires to feed you. In verse 14, the Bible says, And the men took of their victuals and asked not counsel of the Lord. Do you, do you realize what they just did? Yeah, preacher, we can read. We're not first graders. Okay, but they just took their moldy bread. It, and I'm going to step out on a limb, a very large limb that will support my weight, and I'm going to say they ate some of it too. Isn't it interesting they didn't ask counsel of the Lord? If you can't ask God to bless what you're doing, you're doing the wrong thing. Well, I believe that every Christian has the right to. All right, every time you go to do that thing right there, do you ask God to bless it? Well, preacher, I believe that I should be able to drink, uh, I don't know, help me somebody. Don't incriminate yourself. I believe you ought to be able to drink Bud Light. Okay, you do? Yes, because I have, I have liberty. Okay, the next time, or listen to me, big mouth. Next time you crack open that Bud Light, amen, I'm preaching. Next time you crack open that Bud Light, you say this. Now, dear Lord, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray that you bless this Bud Light. And as I pour it down my throat and I drink of that which you told me not to, I pray that you bless it anyways. In your name I pray, amen. If you're willing to do that, I'll shut up and never preach about it again. Well, I believe that a Christian has a, a, the right to smoke. Same thing. Next time you take out your Newports or your Winstons or your Cools or whatever brand I'm missing, I don't know what they are anymore, and you flick, you know, pack that thing open, you know, and you, you know, you're real good at it, you know, you, oh, that's chew, I'm sorry. You pack that thing, however, yeah, it's like this, right? And you, you pop that thing open, next thing you go light that thing up, say, now, Lord, I pray that uh, you bless this thing as I, oh, in the name of Jesus, amen. You say, you're ridiculous, am I really? That Bible says if you can't ask the Lord to bless it, you shouldn't be doing it. Amen. You say, you tell me I can't smoke, I can't drink. Did I say that? I just said if you're not willing to ask the Lord to bless it, why in the world are you doing it? Amen. Now, I want you to take you back to the text. <laughs> and I want you to notice the enemy desires to feed you. And I want you first note of all in verse 5 that that food is no good. Would you agree that dry, moldy bread is no good? How many bought bread at Walmart and found out it was moldy and took it back? Or some of y'all probably just, I ain't going back. It's 20 miles down, we'll feed the birds with it. Amen? It's no good. I want you to notice this. The food from the enemy is no good. You see it? It's right in the text. Right in the passage. The enemy is going to come to you this week and they're going to go, there you go. Here you go, preacher. It just looks so good. And you're like, that looks terrible. And then you're going to get to thinking, well, I haven't had a snack in a while. And you're like, okay. It's gross, I know. The enemy's food is no good, but notice this. Notice that they didn't even ask the Lord if they should accept the offering. Isn't that something? But even greater than all that, even if there could be anything greater, I want you to notice that once you get a taste for the enemy's food, can I tell you that you will no longer have a taste for God's food? Once you get a taste of the enemy's food, you will no longer desire the Lord's food. Take your Bible, go to Proverbs 23. I want to show this to you. Many Christians today, I believe they're saved. I believe they love the Lord. But you know what they do? They eat the devil's bread all week. And then they come to church, and they sit in the pew, and they do the best they can 
and they go out and like, yuck, that was terrible. I wish he'd learn how to talk. I wish he'd learn how to preach. I wish he'd learn how to put stuff together like that. You say, what is that? You're, you've been eating too much of the devil's food. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 8, look at it now. The morsel which thou hast eaten shalt thou vomit up and lose thy sweet words. Let me tell you, if you're hungry, if you're hungry enough spiritually, I could stand on my head and preach and you'd eat it up. But I'm telling you what, if you spend time at the devil's table, making deals with the devil, making deals with the enemy, eating his dry, moldy bread, when God promised you fresh manna every single day, if you just get off your blessed assurance and go and do it, I'm going to tell you, it'd be tasting really good. Trying to help you this morning, I want you to see the enemy is going to try to feed you this week. I want you to fight it. I want you to fight it because right now the Holy Spirit's dealing with some of you on this stuff. And by the time you walk out the door, you'll forget half of it. Stop eating the devil's bread. Stop filling your mind. Stop filling your heart. Stop filling your eyes. Stop filling your ears with the enemy's food. It'll make you disgusted at the Word of God. It'll make you disgusted at preaching. It'll make you hate things that are right, and you won't even understand it. Well, finally... I want you to notice the taxes of the enemy here is they ultimately fool you. Verse 15, you see the verse, you know the verse. And Joshua made peace with them and made a league with them to let them live. That's what God said to not do. And what happens is Joshua does the very thing that God says don't do. And that's all the enemy wants to do to you this week. They want to get you an altercation. They want to get a, a meeting, a conference, and they want to fool you into doing something that you know God does not want you to do. That's the only reason for the meeting. Joshua's fooled, so he makes peace with the, with the enemy. Strike one. Christians are doing that left and right. You better watch it out this week. You better stop making peace with the enemy because once you make peace with the enemy, here comes the second part. Look at it. Once you make peace with the enemy, you're going to make a league with them. You see that? You're going to make a league. Not only did you make peace with them, but now there's a league. You say, what's a league? Well, now you're going to go protect them. And you swear allegiance to the enemy. And as you'll find out next week, you end up getting pulled into wars and battles that you should never have had to fight. Whole chapter 10 is about Israel getting pulled into war because they made an alliance, they made an allegiance, they made peace with an enemy, and now they got it. Let me tell you, don't you have enough fights to fight in the Christian life? Don't you have enough battles to deal with? You want one more? Oh, I don't have enough. I want to get my teeth kicked in some more because I don't have to. That's what I'm talking about this morning. He's fooled so they make peace, they make a league. And then he swears allegiance to the enemy. Now the tactics of the enemy are slick, and I'm done. They're subtle. And as the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, you've got to be sober. You've got to be vigilant. You know, preacher, I just really think we need to give everyone the benefit of the doubt. You do that this week, and you'll be making deals with the enemy. You'll be eating the devil's bread. And you'll be in a mess that you can't get out even with a bucket of Ajax. Now Joshua and Israel fooled and their folly is revealed. Real quick in verse 16, it's revealed in a short time. You see that? Only three days. It takes three days. There's 4,000 years of recorded history, amen? In the Bible, the Bible dating system is a day as a thousand years. The Bible says in Peter, guess what's going to happen in three days? Everything's going to be realized, ain't it? That's 3,000 years. All right. It's revealed in a short time. Verse 16, it sets off the whole congregation. You see, the decisions that you make, they don't just affect you. They affect those that you love. They affect those that may be under you, under your umbrella of protection. It sets off the whole congregation. And next thing you have, got the whole congregation of Israel murmuring against the princes. You, you say, why? They knew better. They knew better, and they blew it. And so here's a bunch of Israelite congregations, and now they have to suffer because their leadership made some real terrible decisions. 
Not only that, but I want you to see finally it creates unnecessary servitude in verse 23. Unnecessary servitude. It's kind of like this. If you're going to run a marathon, you would not take a center block, tie it to a piece of rope, and tie it around your leg. I'm going to go for a run today. That's what they did. I mean, it's like going for a, sh- a swim and just strapping yourself to the Chevy. I'm going to go for a swim. Down you go. It's revealed in a short time. It sets off the congregation. It creates unnecessary servitude. Notice this in verse 23 to 27. The Hivites are now stuck as servants to Israel. Terrible thing. It is. I don't care if it's in the Bible or not. It's a terrible thing. Not only that, but Israel is now stuck as servants to defend this cursed people, the Bible says. And finally, Israel is forever snared with this nation in its boundaries. That's Exodus 22, 33, where the Bible says, it will surely be a snare unto thee. I'm trying to help you think this morning. I want to help you be a critical thinker in the Christian life. I want you to question things as they come across you, and I want you to question them with the Word of God. John says in 1 John, I believe it's chapter 4, verse 1, that we are to try the spirits. Not like those kind of spirits, but we're supposed to try the spirits, whether they be of God. And when the enemy comes walking up to you, no matter how beautiful it looks and how pretty it looks and how harmless it looks, you know what you need to ask the Holy Spirit? Does that, is, that, is that the right thing for me? And never be afraid to tell anybody or any, at any time, I need time to think. I need time to think. I'll get back with you later and remove yourself from the situation. I'm trying to help you this morning. I want you to be sober. I want you to be vigilant. Why? The adversary, the, your adversary, the devil, he's out to get you. He's out to get you. And that old hymn said, mighty men around us falling. We've seen mighty men fall in the last few years. Mighty men. Don't let it be you. Sending out a warning. Just sending out the clarion call this morning. The tactics of the enemy are real. And no matter how great and how powerful and how spiritual you are, if you don't run everything through the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be in trouble. Now as my wife comes to play this morning, I want to open up this invitation. My prayer is that you would not be deceived by the enemy this week. I can think of no better way to start the week but by doing what Joshua did not do. You say, what didn't Joshua do? He didn't ask counsel of the Lord. Wouldn't it be great to start this week out by simply asking counsel of the Lord? I'd like to open the altar up. If you'd like to do that, you come. You come ask counsel of the Lord right now. Why don't you come find counsel of the Lord to avoid the tactics of the enemy, the trickery of the enemy, and, of course, the terrible consequences of the enemy? You come. You come this morning. Seek counsel from the Lord. You'll be glad you did.